What is a naturalist? A naturalist is someone who looks at a tree and thinks of soil. A naturalist is someone who gazes at a mountain and sees a growing delta. A naturalist is someone who peers into a deep, clear spring and imagines cold, dark caverns. A naturalist is someone who gauges the seasons by the fading of the flowers and the arrival of geese. A naturalist absorbs, experiences, shares, perceives, dreams, and imagines along every step of the trail. A naturalist knows and doesn't know, sees and doesn't see, but always with a sense of wonder. are listening to an extended version of Your Community Spirit this morning. Uh, we just had a guest on talking about permaculture, and, well, you you know more much more about permaculture than I do. Yes, I've, uh, I was, I'm always excited to have us discuss permaculture because I studied it at the Institute for Social Ecology in Vermont, and I'm actually going to be studying it further um, in Missouri at Diana's Grove at a Earth Activist Training. It's this two-week-long program where they train you in both activism, like community organizing and advocacy, and also permaculture certification. So it's going to be a very, very intense two-week program, and permaculture is very exciting to me because it does involve trying to observe the natural world and model our own you know, model our own living systems upon the living systems of the planet, <laughs> which, you know, to me, only makes sense. You know, the planet's been around for, what, three, four billion years now, and we've been around for maybe a couple uh, You haven't been studying that other, what, the non-evolution way of... Oh, yeah, we've been around, what, five, six thousand years? <laughs> Either way, you know, the planet's a nice place, so we should try to live in harmony with it rather than destroying it. So permaculture is thumbs up from me. <laughs> thumbs up, huh? Two, two thumbs up for permaculture. And we'll have any news on the subject that we can in the future. I thought this was very interesting. This is, I think this was a column, well, from, I actually don't know where I tore it out of. <laughs> but um, this Quite is... Quite possibly the Daily Egyptian. <laughs> yeah, possibly. Um, it's written by Jack Ramsey, Independent Florida Alligator. So it's another newspaper. Yeah. But it's called Bush's Solution for Global Warming. Build an ark. <laughs> to the veteran news watcher, it's a familiar scene. Anderson Cooper braces himself against the signpost, his CNN raincoat flapping around him. In the background, town folk bob helplessly down flooded streets. This is the worst disaster in the history of Thailand, Haiti, New Orleans. Anderson shouts over the roar of wind and rain. The brown water rises. Back to you in Atlanta, Bob. For years, scientists have predicted an increase in extreme weather events. Hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis, and the like. Now it's happening. And oh my goodness, they say global warming is to blame. 
But George W. Bush doesn't believe in global warming. To him, it's just another crazy theory, like evolution or the female orgasm. <laughs> the Bible, on the other hand, is all true, talking snakes included. So forget about emission standards and biofuel. What we need is an ark. <laughs> That's right, an ark. A big, huge, floating boat. When the polar ice caps melts, well, for no reason, and the Arctic Ocean swallows Florida whole and Hurricane Cletus batters Oklahoma, you'll be glad Halliburton built a floating refuge for humanity. Or the Republican part of it, anyway. Liberals will be left behind, of course, as well as homosexuals and some of the gayer animals. I am afraid that the flamingo will join the dodo in the extinct category of science textbooks. Uh. Incidentally, there will be no science textbooks <laughs> in Bush's Ark. But not to worry, Michael Crichton, is that how you pronounce his name? Michael Crichton? Crichton, oh, yes, okay. Crichton. There you go. Michael Crichton, global warming skeptic and author of Jurassic Park, will be on hand to field scientific queries. <laughs> Having counseled the president and testified before the Senate as a bona fide experts, his credentials are now above reproach. <laughs> like Noah's Ark, Bush's Ark will be jam-packed with animals. Two of each, one male and one female, will suffice for most species. Exemptions will be made for quail, puppies, and sake what, um, I lost my place, um, and old trial lawyers who will roam Dick Cheney's private hunting grounds in packs. <laughs> Barney, the president's terrier, will ride out the apocalypse in the Bush family stateroom. All other animals reside in a steerage with unwed mothers, the Irish, and anyone making less than 200000 a year. <laughs> Every full moon, Ann Coulter will be released from her steel cage to feast on the blood of the innocent and then throw it up. It's fattening, you know. <laughs> but hey, just because the world is ending doesn't mean you don't, can't have a good time. On Noah's Ark, the classic Republican pastime, golf, will be available to any white Anglo-Saxon Protestant with a set of clubs. The classic poor man's pastime, caddying, is of course open to anyone. That is, anyone else. If you really get bored, why not try premarital sex? <laughs> Just kidding. Fornicators will be drowned. Fornicators will be drowned. Speaking of which, we'll need to repopulate the earth once the floodwaters recede. Hopefully, I'll still be alive for that part, and Ann Coulter will be in the cage, or at least too feeble to devour her own young. Anyway, when we finally set foot on solid ground again, every man, woman, and child will thank President Bush. Who else had the vision, they say, the know-how, the sheer brazen chutzpah to build the ark? We'll step into a better, wetter world and promptly start destroying it again. <laughs> global, The solution to global warming build an ark <laughs> well yeah <laughs> sounds good <laughs> so you got some news Let's see. now news. that I did my satirical thing of the morning yes our satirical news piece of the morning I didn't even write it it was just yeah for once it was good though I like uh, Michael Crichton put out that book that was about the environmentalists causing the global warming as a conspiracy 
That's why they slipped it. Did he in really? There. Yeah, he did. I have to read it then. Yeah, I forget what it's called, but, uh, you know, it's some sort of conspiracy where all of the environmentalists are driving, you know, fancy cars and having secret meetings just to destroy the planet and get money for their environmental causes. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's that's the book that that's I haven't read it yet myself, but that's the reviews I've heard. Huh. Okay. So Michael Crichton, our scientific expert on Bush's Ark. <laughs> anyway, let's see. In other news, we have more of our usual. That was news. Yeah. Well, that was that was more of uh, spoof news. Um, I got some more of that. Sat- satirical. Did you want to jump into any or? No. D- just remember the one we always had the. Bar- Texas barbecue. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Actual news. Actual news. Let's see. Here's a good one. Oh say can you Seattle. Oh say can, can you Seattle. Skedaddle. Seattle. The, oh okay. Seattle Commission unveils recommendations for meeting Kyoto goals. XVP Al Gore and environmental journalist Elizabeth Colbert were in Seattle last week. Both gave PowerPoint presentations, the chic new environmental look for 2006. They were in town for a series of events Mayor Greg Nichols jokingly dubbed Climate Palooza. <laughs> Climate Palooza. Capping the Palooza was the unveiling of recommendations from the 18 member commission appointed by Nichols to figure out how Seattle can meet Kyoto goals for cutting greenhouse gas emissions. At a press conference attended by Nichols, Gore, Commission co-chair Dennis Hayes, Sierra Club honcho Carl Pope, and various other eco-hotshots, the commission presented a plan that prominently features, brace yourself, less driving. Suggestions include boosting public transit, changing zoning laws to encourage density, increasing the use of biofuels, and imposing stiff parking lot taxes, among other things. Nichols... Uh, Nichols' U.S. Mayor's Climate Protection Agreement now includes some 219 mayors, all of whom will be watching to see if Seattle can overcome entrenched political forces and make real change. Straight to the source, Seattle Post Intelligencer, The Seattle Times, 24th of March, 2006. And you can also visit www.seattle.gov climate for more information on this. Now, I wonder if the city of Carbondale or any of the other cities here in southern Illinois have their mayors participating in this uh, uh, this U.S. Mayor's Climate Protection Agreement. That's a good question. Maybe we can look into that. Well, in other news, <laughs> this is your train on drugs. <laughs> Any questions? <laughs> Environmental Defense and Ad Council debut edgy new climate ads you know what would really inspire us to turn off our thermostat sell our cars and fight global warming with all we've got seeing a little girl almost get hit by a train (laughs) or so it seems to be the thinking of environmental defense and the ad council as they kick off a new campaign with two public service tv ads featuring cute children hell-bent on scaring the pee out of us in one Kids tick down, literally. I've seen it. They go tick, tick, tick. tick. And each ki- it, it, each one, each tick is a different kid saying it. Yeah. It is creepy. Okay. In one, kids tick down environmental catastrophes. In another, a precious little blonde girl may not escape the climate change train 
if you don't head straight to fightglobalwarming.com, <laughs> says Fre- Fred Krupp, president of Environmental Defense, quote, When you think about so many other major challenges we face, there comes a moment when we move from fear to action. We're at that moment now on global warming. Straight to the source, the Philadelphia Inquirer, the 23rd of March, 2006. So, yes, climate change and scary commercials about kids. (laughs) So, let's see. In other news, oiling for a flight. The top ten best places to live during an oil crisis. <laughs> so, for having, in case the ark doesn't swing by your uh, your front door, here's some of the top ten places to live during an oil crisis. Pack your bags, kids. There's an oil crisis coming, and we're moving to the Big Apple. Eco website Sustain Lane has come up with a list of the top ten U.S. cities best able to weather an oil crisis, and New York is number one. The most heavily weighted factor was mobility. In an oil crunch, there's likely to be less of it. Thus, the top ten were the usual suspects. Big cities that I've managed to avoid, relatively speaking, excessive sprawl while encouraging citizens to use public transportation. Philadelphia made number five for its emphasis on local food production. Geek Mecca Seattle came in at number eight for its passion for wireless connectivity and telecommuting. Cities singled out for their unsustainable practices were Arlington, Texas, population 300,000, buses and trains zero. Wow, let me say that again. Arlington, Texas, population 300,000, buses and trains zero. That's Texas-style transportation. And Oklahoma City deemed the worst, biggest city in the nation to get stuck in when gas prices spike. Oklahoma should be looking into harvesting that wind sweeping down the plain. I wish I knew that song about Oklahoma. I'd sing it right now. <laughs> Straight to the source. Oklahoma, where the green grass grows. There you That's go. all I know. Oklahoma, where the green grass grows. Maybe. That's how the <laughs> tune is, but I don't know the words. And the oil runs out. Straight to the source. CNN Money, Energy Bulletin, The Baltimore Sun, 2000 and 6 March 25th. And also, the website that this comes from is sustainlane.com. That's sustainlane.com. Sounds like that'd be a fun top ten list to submit to David Letterman to have him read that on the air. <laughs> I wonder I wonder if he, he might do He it. might do it. He's just wacky enough. He, he seems to have interesting politics, too. Well, they, they'd have to put in some kind of quirk to each yeah. one of them. That's the thing. You'd have to, they've already got a few good starts out here, like, you know, the, but doing jokes, that sort of thing. Next news article. Ag, you're it. Agricultural interests push ambitious renewable energy goal. Farm and forestry groups are throwing their support behind the new 25 by 25 campaign which advocates that 25% of the energy in the U.S. comes from America's working lands, America's working lands by the year 2025. Isn't that like in the year 2525? No, that's the year 2525. No, I don't know. Is it 2525? In in the future. (laughs) In the year 2525, I don't know if I'll be alive. So, the 2525 campaign... um, 
Energy from America's working lands, that means biofuels like ethanol, bioenergy from processed animal manure and agricultural waste, and of course, wind and solar power produced on agricultural lands. Sounds good in theory, but how beneficial would it be really? Well, if you want to know more about this, the website is actually 25, actual the number, 25x for times, so 25 times 25.org. So you type in the actual number 25 and then an x for times and then 25.org. Yes, and we actually another we have related news too also about uh, ethanol and its impacts bait and switchgrass. <laughs> New coal-powered ethanol plant a sign of things to come. Dun, dun, dun. Green's leery about jumping on the biofuels bandwagon have a new reason for trepidation. An ethanol plant that opened last December in Iowa is burning 300 tons of coal a day to transform corn into ethanol in order to beat global warming. Ah, taste the sweet, sweet irony. The plant is no anomaly. The biofuels business is booming with 30 to 40 facilities under construction and 150 more of these on the drawing board. And, quote, it's very likely that coal will be the fuel of choice for most of these new ethanol plants, says Robert McIlvain, who has compiled a database of new and planned plants. An analysis in the journal Science found that if all 190 of the ethanol plants in question ran on coal, it would reduce America's greenhouse gas emissions by exactly zilch. How does the biofuels industry answer this environmental concern? by waving the scepter of always-just-over-the-horizon cellulosic ethanol. Ah, we feel tons better. Straight to the source, Christian Science Monitor, 23rd of March, 2006. So, burning coal to make ethanol. Well, we've been talking about global warming a little bit. Yep. We get to sing a song now. Time is on on our our side. Yes, it is. Time. Oh, okay. Time cover stories propels global warming into the mainstream. Be worried. Be very worried. Be afraid. So warns the latest issue of Time magazine, which focuses on every Johnny-come-lately's favorite topic. Global warming. The cover story, the contains of which will be old news for devotees of scrappy nonprofit environmental organizations that need and deserve your ongoing financial support, <laughs> details the role of climate disruption in more violent storms, faster melting glaciers, crippling droughts, animal and plant extinctions, yada yada yada. Yeah. Big placement in the middle, in the most middle of the road U.S. News mag means that global warming has transcended the green and liberal media sectors to become a mainstream American and viral political issue. Time backs up its uh, editorial choice with a poll on America's environmental attitudes. Well, it seems like 85% believe global warming is probably happening. Almost half say it's a very important issue, up from 31% in 1998. And 52% favor government mandates in response, like curbs on power plant emissions and tax breaks to advance clean energy technology. Welcome to the worry, people. Straight to the source, well, Time Magazine, the 26th of March, 2006. 
time. It's all my side. Yes, it is. Yes, lots of interesting dialogue about climate change. And let's see, in other news, Southern land do need you around anyhow. Big conservation deal will protect 218,000 acres of forest in the south. Aha! Conservationists are celebrating the biggest sale of private land for preservation in the south's history. The Nature Conservancy and the Conservation Fund have put up a combined $300 million for 218,000 acres of forest land owned by international paper in Alabama, Arkansas, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, Mississippi, North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Virginia. Wow, that's a lot of places. Most of the acreage will continue to be worked for timber, but the most eco-sensitive areas will be put off limits to loggers and all of the land will be kept out of the hands of real estate developers. Green groups are pleased that the deal will preserve contiguous forest and shoreline wildlife habitat. Meanwhile, up in Wisconsin, the Nature Conservancy has gone in with the state on a purchase of more than 64,000 IP acres worth about $83.7 million. Straight to the source, the Virginia Pilots, the Boston Globe, and the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel, 29th of March, 2006. So, conserving forests in the south. We'll be right back with your regularly scheduled programming of your community spirit at 10 o'clock. Anishin and Why do they forget my relatives? As I go along the highways, I see many types of different animals. And the spirit cries, I could hear the spirit of the animals wanting to be free. And they lay there. And the spirit cries, help me, I want to go home. As I look before me, they pass by and they run over them. And I cry to the spirit, why do they not just look at the steering wheel that they are using, the very car that they are driving, the very truck? If they could just hear the spirit wanting to teach them that very vehicle that they've just run over my relative with, the animal, was also made from Mother Earth. If they would only understand that, that vehicle that they're driving, would respond back immediately and it would tell them exactly even if they're too busy to stop and put them aside that vehicle would tell them to place tobacco on them tires just so my relatives can go home just so my relatives spirit could be free and go back to the great creator it's very simple this life what Mother Earth has given us. To really think is so simple that it is beyond us. So I ask in my native tongue, in my English language, the second language that was given to me, why do they not do anything for my relatives, the animals? All it takes is even tobacco to roll down a window 
and offer it to the four winds for my relatives so that they can go home. Yeah.